Hello everyone and welcome to episode three of The Fake News with Emily Savage. So today I'm actually going to be talking um, about criminology. Um, I did say that I was going to talk about my uh, weird adventures um, on the last episode but uh, I've decided that uh, I'm actually going to leave that until another time and I'm going to delve into this with you instead. So uh, criminology is um, actually one of my favourite subjects and in particular I'm really interested in criminal psychopathology um, and sociopathy. Um, So this is something that I have studied a little bit about um, in my degree course in my undergraduate Um, So I did study sociology for my undergraduate uh, bachelor's of science honour degree, Um, but I also did uh, criminology modules and uh, psychology modules as a part of that. Um, And so, yes, I mean, when we talk about criminology, I suppose we mean the study of uh, criminal or deviant behaviour. And so that can be kind of any kind of antisocial behaviour. Obviously, if we're talking about criminal behaviour, generally there is a crime uh, involved with that. So breaking uh, of the law or whatever. Um, And so when we talk about... um, psychopaths and sociopaths um there is actually a little bit of a difference it's not huge um but it is actually i don't know well it is quite different really um but perhaps the mm, it presents they present themselves uh in a similar way the like basically how the disorders come across, they come across to us uh, in a similar way, but uh, they actually kind of stem from uh, quite different, perhaps, motivations. So basically, um, sociopaths and psychopaths uh, can both suffer from antisocial personality uh, disorder. So it basically means that they're more prone to breaking laws and rules than other people. Um, Don't make long-term plans, using lies to deceive other people, that kind of a thing. And so, but the reason why um, psychopaths and sociopaths are different is because... um, Whereas the psychopath uh, will actually really, really genuinely uh, feel a lesser extent of emotion, no remorse. Um, Obviously, it's hard to actually test those things scientifically. So we can only, I mean, we do use polygraphs and stuff like that um, in criminology. Um, however, yeah, the psychopath, um, basically shows, um, kind of no remorse, no guilt really for the crimes that he or she 
commits, whereas um, a sociopath uh, tends to present similar behaviour, um, but they actually do realise um, they know the morality uh, behind, you know, societal rules and structure. They understand the... Um, they understand the yeah the morals and the sort of ethics of society and why they should or should not do something, uh, but they actually choose to just go ahead and do that thing anyway. Um, so I can talk you through um some of these things. So I. I think, though, and I just wanted to put this out there because I enjoy um, talking to a variety of different people, right? And I've been all over the world and uh, met people from all kinds of different backgrounds, um, very wealthy people, very poor people, people in the middle, um you know, people from all different subcultures and sectors of society. And I can tell you this, um, criminal psychopaths and sociopaths uh, exist in all sections, I would say, of society, but they do tend to exist more, I would say, um in the fr- at the fringes of society um so they tend to either be um the very wealthy or um or the impoverished and i guess you could say uh one would argue that perhaps these traits are perhaps not so much inbuilt. They could be, but you could argue that perhaps they are somewhat a condition of those extreme uh, two ends of the scale. And I would say also, though, that that's not like a rule to be applied to everybody because um, I have met some very, very wealthy people um, and some very impoverished people who, of course, do not fit the uh, category for uh, criminal psychopathology, who, you know, don't present uh, psychopathic or sociopathic behaviours at all. But I do think it's interesting to talk about this in terms of wealth as well, because I think that um, generally when people think about criminology and they're talking about sort of criminal psychopaths and sociopaths, um, I think, you know, they tend to think of people at the bottom of society who perhaps um, aren't working or people who, um, I don't know, have had like a very difficult upbringing, sorry, a very difficult upbringing or whatever. Um, But I would actually argue that 
the <laughs> perhaps the most notorious um <laughs> psychopaths and sociopaths or maybe not those who um commit violent crimes but those who um bend the rules of society and those who willingly walk all over others and particularly pick on those more vulnerable than them um actually tend to exist uh higher up in society at the top of the chain in large organizations um where they will use you know certain means of control and manipulation to uh get others to do what they want them to do and yeah so it's like a lot of um CEOs and uh millionaires I don't know, whatever, do present some of these characteristics. And so, yeah, I think that when we do think of criminal psychopathology, it's important to um, remember that uh, we can't just kind of, uh, we can't just kind of generalise here and just say that uh, people... Uh, who commit crime or whatever just fall um, mainly into uh, one category which is in particular like the impoverished Um, and I just I think this is interesting as well because I talked about bullying in the last episode Um, and so when we talk about bullying um, the bully in particular, will uh, try to pick on somebody uh, who is more vulnerable than themselves in some way. And so um, I didn't mention before, though, that uh, obviously one of the categories of vulnerability is wealth. So often um, a bully will pick on someone who is uh, who has lesser uh, wealth value than them uh, because that person who is the victim um is oftenly is often defenseless against um against the bully uh in some way due to their uh lack of wealth or whatever so i think that um we should all be aware that you know, criminal psychopaths and sociopaths actually really do exist, I would say, fairly uh, prevalently in, uh, you know, in society, but in particular, like, on the fringes of society. And I would also say um, that, you know if we are talking particularly about, I don't know, I guess you could call them the best (laughs) um, psychopaths or sociopaths who are kind of those ones who do um, integrate uh, with society, who are at the very top of the food chain um, in these 
uh, large corporate organizations or whatever, um, or who um, work for themselves or whatever. I think that um, it's important to note um, that they sometimes will literally go out of their way uh, to victimise a certain person or people um, to set them up, to make themselves um, seem like a victim or whatever. Um, And often, you know, they will characteristically have superficial charm, um, will be, uh, kind of fakely, um, emotional, not emotional, but like, so basically they will be quite, um, reactive, but actually the emotions tend to be kind of fake. And I'd say I have noticed just from, the psychopaths and sociopaths that I've met, um, a massive characteristic of them is that they prey off others' energies so um, they don't create their own vibe or they don't have, like, their own interests or um, their own kind of mission in life. They will kind of... um, copy other people, like, steal their ideas and try and make it their own, um, they will, um, yeah, like, basically, instead of, um, kind of running the show themselves, often they just, get other people to uh, do the dirty work for them. Um, They will kind of sometimes have uh, many interactions uh, with people, but they're kind of fake about those interactions and those emotions. So, like, I don't know. If they don't really want to talk to someone, they'll talk still talk to people because they're trying to get, like, ahead or whatever. And I think sometimes, you know, like, I mean, I actually have met um, a few psychopaths and sociopaths who I actually really like. Obviously, a characteristic of them is that they're superficially charming. And the thing is, obviously, people have this perception of psychopaths and sociopaths, like, they're really, um, yeah, terrible people. Um, obviously no one is going to admit to being a psychopath or a sociopath. Um, but what I kind of like about some of the ones I've met is that, um, they, they don't really expect anything off other people in the same way uh, that some people do. So they they let people um, like have free reign, do what they want. 
Um, and like they tend to be quite non-judgmental of others because literally like it doesn't matter to them um and you know lots of sociopaths in particular um actually do choose to to obey and um at times kind of make very uh productive and uh like they make really good members of society basically and so i guess the argument that i'm talking about is is there a good psychopath or sociopath and i would say to some extent um there can be because i feel i feel like i've met a few of them um because they can um do well in society and generally they will actually want to produce more than other people um and obviously if it's in their interest they help other people um so to some extent there are good psychopaths and sociopaths but the I guess the downfall that you're always going to have with those kind of people is that um you know if they decide that they don't like you or you've done something that didn't quite fit their idea or um you know they yeah they basically just decide that they don't like you anymore or don't see a use for you anymore uh then that's it you know you're done and so that's obviously um quite a damaging behavior uh in itself and so obviously you know when we talk about psychopaths and so- sociopaths um there's definitely a lack of empathy with other people um and often uh i would say that from the ones that i've met uh they will perhaps uh be quieter at first come across uh with a quieter kind of nature but then when they've decided that you know they want to be friends with you or you know they see a use for you or whatever they will kind of target you very quickly and have like a superficial charm and the relationship uh will kind of heat up uh very quickly but then with the people who are actually psychopaths and sociopaths you do find that there is not um there's not much else going on let's put it that way there's not much depth so it's kind of like i think that these two disorders or 
I don't know if you want to call them disorders, but these two two psychologies are slightly different because I would say with um, the people who I've met who I would say are uh, more psychopath, uh, which means they just kind of don't think about morality at all. It doesn't kind of enter their head. They're literally just going with their instincts. That is the very thing. Like they literally uh, just react on um, instinct and kind of in the moments and uh, yeah there isn't any like regret there whereas um, with the sociopath there is a sense of kind of like morality more long-term planning that kind of thing um but yeah they just kind of disobey that anyways um so what was I saying oh yeah I mean oh but like the depth so yeah with a sociopath um there is more uh depth to the person um and I think from the sociopaths that I've met um or people that I would you know profile to be sociopath um they tend to I find be more interesting people because uh, there seems to be a greater depth of thought and reflection there. Um, they understand the sense of morality, they understand societal rules and norms, but yeah, they just, uh, disobey or whatever for, uh, whatever reason. But with, you know, with the psychopath, it's kind of like, there's not really any story behind it. Um, they're not particularly interested to tell you uh, the story behind whatever. And uh, often, you know, like I found from the psychopaths I've talked to, whatever, they don't want to uh, let you get too close to them. They don't want to tell you the backstory. Um, they don't want to tell you the X, Y, Z, because I think that they fear that that could be used against them in some way instead of kind of um, seeing that, you know, society works better when we, when we all work together, essentially. Now, what else did I have to say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I have noticed as well uh, with uh, psychopaths is that these people are not creative people like um and I think it is because of the reacting in the moment nature of it all and so like I don't know if you guys know about the Myers-Briggs psychological tests they're like they tend to be used as um a business psychology test to uh to kind of profile personality there's 16 different uh, personality tests 
um, sorry, 16 different personalities in Myers-Briggs, some, sometimes called MBTI. And it kind of goes on uh, four different criterias, essentially. Or, uh, yeah, so four different criterias, but then you have a choice of like two things uh, for each criteria. So it kind of decides whether you're extroverted or introverted, intuitive or sensing, feeling or thinking, perceiving or judging, right? So it's not always um, how people think it is because um, when people think of like extroverts and introverts, I think they tend to judge that on whether a person is like very shy or very outgoing but actually the what introversion and extroversion is decided on is where that person gets their energy from so whereas like an introvert will get their energy from like themselves and from quiet moments of reflection and reading and um, you know, walks, reflection, kind of um, reading different books, like painting, I don't know, like that's where they get their energy from. Uh, an extrovert will get their energy from the outside world, from, well, yeah, from like interacting with people, interacting on social media, having conversations. If they go to a party, they'll feel energized by that. Whereas I think an introvert like feels like slightly drained um, after a party. And then you've got the people who are kind of like ambiverts. So they're kind of in the middle. Um, and these people like are kind of a bit of both, I suppose. But MBTI doesn't really talk about ambiverts because it, well, otherwise the test wouldn't work. But anyway, so then, and then you're like sensing or intuitive sensing is um it's kind of like um you know it, it the sorry the intuition or sensing is like how you uh go about your life so if you're sensing you're kind of deciding things in the moment going on facts going on um you know on your guts I suppose and just reacting there in real time and then the um intuitives will kind of in this way be more like reflective they'll kind of link ideas together uh in patterns and they'll sort of they'll think about all of the different like theories for things and they'll fit the events of the day together to decide what they think about things and um they'll kind of and like they'll analyze um all of the information that they've collected and kind of draw it together to create a pattern to create like a theory or something so sensing or intuition is really it's how you think about the world kind of thing how you approach the world so then after that you have feeling 
or thinking, which is obviously a bit more straightforward. So uh, again, I mean, it's how you react to the world, but it's whether you go more on your like heart-based decisions, like um, whether you go more on your feelings and, you know, what your emotions tell you, like, um, like, oh, hey, this person I like um, said this, I don't really agree with the idea, but I like that person. So then if that per- if you're a feeler, you would say, oh, well, hey, I, you know, I like so-and-so, so I just won't worry that they said something that I don't like kind of thing. Whereas like a thinker uh, thinks like more with their like logic, their head, whatever, and they think, hey, like, no, what so-and-so said does not fit with my belief system and I like them, but they just, you know, they just, say things that I completely don't agree with so mm, I don't know maybe let's give so and so the arm's length right because they're they're using their logic I suppose but again there's kind of there's a scale to all these things so you're never going to be or it's very very unlikely that you would be like a hundred percent one thing or the other everyone's on a scale for all of these factors and then the last um, the last sort of, uh, fourth category that you would, uh, decide on, like, is, like, are you, um, a perceiver or a judger? So, if you're a perceiver, it means that, um, you are kind of go with the flow, like, you know, you do things a bit more spontaneously, it's like you might have had a plan, but then, you know, you meet someone that you like and they're like, hey, I'm going to do this and do you want to come? And then a perceiver would be like, yeah, sure, like, why not? Like, let's go with the flow, make the most of the moment. Whereas um, people who are more judging, they kind of, uh, they make their plans and, um, or they have like a timetable or a calendar or whatever of plans and then they'll kind of, um, they will stick way more rigidly to that um they'll kind of organize events in advance rather than going um with the flow um and they will probably feel more uncomfortable if somebody's sort of saying hey like do you want to spontaneously do this or that and then the judger will be thinking oh my gosh but I've already made xyz plans and I didn't expect this to come up and oh my gosh like could you have given me like a week's more advance to know about this um and I think the judger will will usually prefer to plan things like phone calls and um tends to want to be more in control of his or her decisions whereas the perceiver doesn't kind of mind too much um so, like I say, uh, there's kind of like a, a scale to all these things. Um, I don't even know what MBTI type I am now because I literally, like, I used to do the test and I, well, I love MBTI. <laughs> I love Myers-Briggs. So I literally have done this test Um probably between 50 and 100 times like a lot of times if you do want to do the test yourself there's a really good free website called 16 personalities you can just type it into google 
to find out your MBTI type and this can also um, help you understand like your own motivations better, um, which jobs or careers might suit you, how you tend to react to things in relationships and how you um, might better work with other people and um, it will tell you um, as well how you kind of tend to conceptualize the whole world um so yes I I don't know if I want to share too much with you guys right now but yeah I tend to kind of uh <laughs> get one personality type main mainly most of the time closely followed by a second and then um I have also got like like yeah there's like a third one that I get sometimes but um so yeah um Myers-Briggs is a good one but what was I gonna say but I'd, I'd actually say with um you know criminal psychopathology and uh, sociopathy uh, a characteristic of this tends to be more like reacting to things in the moment particularly you know with the psychopath um and so I would say for that reason uh the criminal (laughs) criminal psychopaths I would say tend to be more of an s like sensory um and when we're talking uh obviously about criminals criminal psychopaths and sociopaths as well they tend particularly with the psychopaths to be more t thinking because uh, there's kind of a lack of empathy there although I don't know perhaps for the sociopath it's possible that the sociopath um, does rate higher on the feeling um, indicator because uh, the sociopath you know is kind of aware of the ethics and morality of society which involves in its very nature like a degree of feeling to be able to understand but they just go ahead and do like what's best for them or whatever anyways um now what else was I going to say with regards to energy I do think it actually can vary um slightly for criminal psychopaths and sociopaths but I would say that um with people who are criminal psychopaths uh they actually tend to be extroverts or ambiverts because they're kind of receiving that energy from other people um I know that um I mean in books that I've read and in psychology today um it would say that psychopaths and sociopaths kind of uh, can have like a parasitic nature I don't know 
if I would describe it as that so much as the people who I've met who I would say fit these uh, criteria just don't know how to build their own creation or their sense of energy or their own vibe so they're like wanting to get it from other people to get it from somewhere else um and it's interesting because you know when we're talking about psychopaths and sociopaths um we talk about energy and I think that probably is one of the um criteria that most strongly mark out these types of personalities however and I don't know as much as I should do perhaps about um, these personalities but I have traveled quite a lot and um, I left home really when I was 19 years old and this is always something that I've been interested in so I did my A-levels in um, sociology and uh, psychology and uh, religion as well so it kind of all links together and I'd say it's interesting <laughs> um, because oh bear with me sorry I completely forgot my train of thought then um yeah, I don't know, sorry, I completely forgot what I was going to say, but um, also another thing about these type of people, though, is I don't know if we can ever really say that um, any person is innately evil. I mean, I probably haven't been, I mean, I haven't been into... Um, any prisons and talk to any kind of uh, really notorious convicted uh, criminals but (laughs) I guess from the good (laughs) the good uh, (laughs) quote-unquote sociopaths and psychopaths that I have talked to um, I I kind of feel like there are reasons why those people uh, react in the way that they do perhaps some of it is more genetic with the psych- um, psychopath but with the sociopaths it seems that you know it, that's kind of a behavior that they've uh, developed for xyz uh, reason and I would also say because you know I'm talking about these well, these people I would say tend to mainly exist on the fringes of society so they're either they're either mainly the uh, wealthier or the poorer. Um, but I would also say that, yeah, poverty and extreme wealth kind of really can uh, affect these things. So, oh, I just had a really good point and I totally forgot it, guys. Sorry. Um yeah but you know <laughs> psychopaths and sociopaths obviously exist in um all kinds of organizations banking churches um uh 
in, you know, within the law. Um, people like to, ex- people who like to exert our control over other people. There are psychopaths and sociopaths in the news industry for sure. Um, which is interesting. This is another point. Hey guys, fake news or fake news. Um, everything that we see and hear and understand is based on our perception as well, right? And so we can just kind of take everything as it is, or we can actually understand that we are seeing situations through our own lenses and through the way that we've been brought up, raised, through the way that we've been conditioned environmentally. And so when we meet other people from other sections of society or other people with different beliefs to ourselves, it's kind of important to remember that um, everybody's coming from a different viewpoint because of the way that they've been raised, because of the experiences that they've had, because of the institutions that they've been through, because of um, the parents that they had, uh, the treatment that they've had, um, whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, I guess that's all I kind of have to say on that for now. But it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of important when we think of criminology um, that we are aware that criminal psychopathology, sociopathy, um, you know, psychopaths, they can exist anywhere. And just because a person, um, isn't isn't necessarily like breaking the rules or whatever or um like just because a person might be in a great position of power or at the top of a company or at the top of society doesn't mean that they actually um that they actually have good morals because what are good morals at the end of the day, right? Um, I mean, if someone is actually doing things to benefit others and to try and help society, um, regardless of their genetic makeup or, uh, kind of perhaps skewed um like interactions or whatever it doesn't necessarily like make them a bad person if if that person is choosing to hmm, inter still interact in society in a way that um 
is helpful for society, but it's also important to realise that um, that <laughs> that these people uh, also will screw you over sometimes with like with no remorse, and so we just have to be aware when we're in society that uh, <laughs> these people can be everywhere and. Um, yeah, I think also that good people, um, tend to get targeted by these kind of people, um, if you have, like, a desire to do good in society, uh, passionately, strongly, um, the criminal <laughs> psychopath or sociopath, uh, will attack that. And so if they sense you wanting to help them or help others, that's something that they will feed off and try and use to their own gain, sometimes screw you over in doing. So yeah, it's important guys. Uh when we think of psychopaths and sociopaths, um like don't be close minded in your judgment because the scale for these people is varying the as in as if to say like um yeah they would show different levels of uh defining characteristics and you know their behavior will come out differently as well sometimes so one is not going to be the same as the other at all and so they might share similarities but they're not going to be the same and this also is the same for a lot of other uh, diagnoses like autism and like obviously when we talk about autism that doesn't just fit one like one personality there are lots of people out there who are on the autistic spectrum so that means that um, you will either be like way more autistic or less autistic so people who are not autistic at all are literally at the other end of the spectrum where they are very kind of needing to interact with other people all the time um and then people high on the autistic spectrum are literally just kind of like really, really happy, focusing on one task, kind of being on their own for a long time. But then there's different um, disorders within the autistic spectrum. So you've got like um, high functioning Asperger's and then you've got like sort of straight autism and you've got... Um, I forget the name of the other one. Let me just look it up for you. Bear with me. So, 
I, I can't remember, guys. Sorry about that. Um, but my point is, is that with all disorders, when we're talking about them, it's just not the same for uh, all people. Like, there are different variations kind of like on a scale. So that's the same with um, mental health disorders as well. So obviously... Um, autism and mental health is completely different. So, um, they like mental health disorders are obviously mental health disorders. And with autism, uh, that's actually related to, um, like neurology more and, uh, an actual disability. I mean, I guess in some ways you could argue that uh, mental health is its own disability. But, yeah, we all kind of fit on a scale with that too. So, what I was going to say, I can't remember what the other one is called for. Autism, but there are different types. Ah, yeah, so there used to be um, another autistic spectrum disorder called Rett syndrome, which is actually kind of being removed from the spectrum now. So uh, Rett syndrome uh, actually was kind of halfway between like autism and Asperger's or high functioning Asperger's um so to have autism um you would have an IQ of I believe 70 or below whereas people with Asperger's um can have some of the highest IQs um in the world there are many people with Asperger's syndrome who are really uh super super um brainy so there are people in Mensa society uh, which is like the high IQ society who have Asperger's um and you know lots of these people will be like successful scientists or lecturers or um, people who kind of take great joy in their uh, intellect and who find like a great fascination in a particular uh, subject or like cluster of subjects and they will be very very passionate about their interests but they're not necessarily going to be passionate about things that don't interest them. And they would also like asking, uh, well, you've got kind of like social autism and Asperger's, and then you've kind of got um, people who, you know, very much like to stay in their own space and kind of like to feel in control of their decisions. Um well yeah anyway so it is all on a scale guys and I'm obviously not (laughs) linking um 
Asperger's and um, criminal psychopathology or sociology, so please don't think that. Um, I am just saying, when we're talking about anything, any um, disorder or... um, or when we're kind of profiling people, psychologically profiling people, or when we're meeting others, asking them questions, deciding what kind of cluster or personality category they fit. Um, It's important to remember that this all exists on a spectrum no two people who fall within the same uh <laughs> like category are going to be exactly the same they can actually be very different and we also have to remember when we psychologically profile people uh, that motivations obviously come into play as well. So we might uh, wonder why a person has done XYZ or why they behave in XYZ way. Um, we, I don't think when we're psychologically profiling people, it's always um, best to think of things just in plain terms because I think that and although when we're talking about psychopathology you know these people do tend to react more in the moment um, psychological motivations run deep right so even for psychopaths obviously everybody has like an upbringing or everybody has a um everybody has a uh has things that make them tick right everybody kind of has yeah ticks i guess <laughs> um and so yeah we kind of need to think about these things when we're profiling people and i am not an expert I'm still studying, so please don't take my word as the gospel truth, um, but yeah, we we kind of have to be aware that uh, lots of people react differently and we can't just say uh, everybody is the same because they fall under a certain category. And I also think that it's also important to remember that um, personalities, that people can be fluid. Um, So I would say, for example, with myself anyway, I wouldn't say that I'm like the same individual that I was at... 18 um 
I guess you could partly say that's because I've had a lot of different experiences since then. Uh, some of them quite drastic, which may have like altered the way that I would react to certain things or expect the world to be or have, you know, and to some extent, like that's altered like my values or whatever. But I think this is also most definitely <laughs> the case for uh, the vast majority of people within society because our experiences and our um, lives are changing all the time and it would be unlikely within like a 10-year period that someone didn't at least have at least one major life change I would say or like um or even if they didn't have like a major life change they would probably know somebody close to them who had like a major life change and when I say like life change I kind of mean they might have like a family member pass away or they might like lose a, a job or have a baby or they might um oh gosh, I don't know, like, move to a new country or start, like, a new career path or something like that. But, like, it's really, I would say, like, it's quite unlikely that you would go through a 10-year period and not have one of those big life changes or or know somebody close to you who's kind of gone through um, those big life changes. And so, yeah, our, like, identities and... um therefore like our personalities and things like can be I would say quite fluid within uh like a 10-year period and so um I don't really know if we can uh if we can say that one person uh has like a disorder or whatever for their whole lives uh perhaps this doesn't apply so much to uh disabilities but certainly um when we're talking about like criminal psychopathology and sociology sorry and sociopathy and um other like mental health disorders i wouldn't say that those uh, diagnoses or those definitions necessarily stick for uh, a whole lifetime or are applicable um, throughout like a whole lifetime because people change. And you could argue that people don't change that much, maybe. But I would say that actually... um, People, people do change quite a lot depending on what happens to them. Um, and so I guess I'm going to kind of wrap up now. Um, but I know obviously genetics um, do play into these diagnoses as well you could argue that one is predisposed to a certain type of psychology or disorder or whatever you know due to uh, genetics and their physiological makeup 
but I think that it's very unwise and ill-informed to say that um, this determines their whole life, like it's deterministic, right? So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, I'll speak to you later.